Welcome into the 5 o'clock hour of this Thursday edition of the show. I'm Brighton McConnell, continuing to sub for Andrew Stuckey today, and it has been a full Thursday indeed. Let's get you caught up on your local news headlines. Still to come in this 5 o'clock hour, a conversation with Goldfish Swim School and their Community Stars of the Month, as well as hearing Art Chansky's Sports Notebook and our 5 o'clock traffic and weather together. We begin, though, in local news on UNC's campus, or should I say, actually in East Lansing, Michigan. It's not officially official just yet, but it's looking more and more official that UNC Chancellor Kevin Guskowitz is on his way to Michigan State. The East Lansing University's Board of Trustees has called a meeting for tomorrow morning with several Michigan-based and national outlets reporting it is to formally introduce Guskowitz as Michigan State's next president. The Chronicle for Higher Education had the news first yesterday about the meeting taking place. It was confirmed at 8 o'clock this morning, and it will be held at 8 o'clock tomorrow morning. Now, the news doesn't really come as a surprise to folks around campus since there have been weeks of speculation around the former dean of UNC's College of Arts and Sciences future. Guskowitz was first linked to Michigan State's presidency in a student newspaper report from mid-November from East Lansing. At the time, the state news reported that Guskowitz was the sole finalist left for that position after the other candidate dropped out. Now, since then, we've seen UNC faculty and students alike share their thoughts on what Guskowitz's departure would be a loss for the campus. And the chancellor, in his words, quote, weighed the decision for that time. North Carolina Governor Roy Cooper today weighed in on the likely departure, sharing this statement on Twitter and linking a Chapelboro article while doing so. Cooper wrote, quote, as the nation's leading public university, UNC attracts worldwide leaders to the office of chancellor, but meddling from legislative appointees is driving them away. Because the GOP legislature seized university trustee appointments and installed hard right appointees on the UNC Board of Governors, our reputation is beginning to suffer. Now, if he is introduced as Michigan State's next president tomorrow, it does mean that UNC will be left to conduct its first chancellor search and make its first interim choice since 2019 when Guskowitz was chosen as the interim chancellor. If you remember, in early 2019, Carol Folt departed after she removed a Confederate statue from the Chapel Hill campus. Guskowitz was tapped coming from his position as dean of uh, from the School of Arts and Sciences. He has been on UNC's campus for much longer prior to that, though, as a neuroscientist and was given the permanent position in December 2019. Uh, If he does move on, he will have served four years, as I mentioned there, as the 12th chancellor in UNC's 78-year-old history of that position. But I imagine we're going to learn a lot more tomorrow come 8 o'clock. Now, speaking of changes in leadership, we saw a lot of other local turnover in our town governments last month during the municipal elections. And more of those governmental bodies are holding their end-of-year organizational meetings. The town of Carborough was up first in Orange County out of the trio of towns. They met on Tuesday this week, and it was the last meeting for Carborough Mayor Damon Siles, longtime council member Sammy Slade, and one-term council member Susan Romaine. But the meeting also held a historical ceremony which welcomed both new members and familiar faces to new roles. Discharge the duties of my office. Of my office. As mayor for the town of Carborough. As mayor for the town of Carborough. So help me God. So help me God. <laughs> Congratulations. The Carborough Town Hall was packed with family, friends, and community leaders to see that swearing in of Barbara Fouché. 
After taking the oath administered by U.S. Representative Valerie Fushi, the six-year council member ascended to Carborough mayor, a title held only by one other person of color in the town's history. Robert Drakeford served six years as mayor in the 1970s and 80s, the first black man in the role. And Fushi said the, quote, magnitude of this moment was not lost on her as the first black woman to hold the office. In her opening remarks, Fushi pledged to lead with the strength of her moral compass, ability to listen, and commitment to serve those in the community. You know, I'm bold enough to know that we can do more together as we continue to make room at the table for everyone. I want the doors of this community to be wide open for all who want to live here, work here, and play here. This council will be about accountability, transparency, fairness, and responsibility to the community that it serves. Everyone realizes these are all keys to good governance. Eliezer Posada's swearing in for his first full term advanced his own history as he continues to be the first openly gay Latino elected official in the state. Meanwhile, first-time Councilmember Catherine Frey also became the first non-binary person elected to office in North Carolina. After taking the oath, Frey shared a story about falling in love with the people who make Carborough's community special, acknowledging they create its unique character while also challenging it to continue moving forward. It's this beautiful tapestry of a town of all of us right now getting out and pulling in one direction and pushing in another and working together to make Carborough the strange little place it is. With Fushi's election, though, came a subsequent decision by the Carborough Council. Since Fushi was re-elected to her seat in 2021, two years remain in its term. According to Carborough's charter, that allowed the council members to choose between holding a special election to fill the seat or appointing someone to the role. On Tuesday, the council ultimately approved a special election to be held next November to fill the seat for one year, saying aligning it with the 2024 primaries would be too quick of a turnaround since the cycle now begins in March instead of May. The six-person council will now be on break until the new calendar year, reconvening on Tuesday, January 9th. For photos of the swearing-in ceremony, visit chapelboro.com. Meanwhile, we have, of course, other election news happening. The 2024 filing period got underway uh, earlier this week, and we are continuing to track the Orange County races there. If it feels earlier than normal, you are not mistaken. It is right on top of local elections this year because North Carolina recently changed its law, so primary elections begin in March instead of May. We are continuing to follow who has entered in the Orange County races for county commissioners' seats, for the Board of Education in Orange County Schools, and, of course, the Orange County State Legislative Representatives. Uh, No major updates as of now, but I imagine we'll be getting those by the end of this hour from the Board of Elections. You can see who has entered through the first couple of days by heading to our article on chapelboro.com on that. But across North Carolina, observers are saying that they are noticing a spike in interest among residents who usually would not consider throwing their hats into the ring. Democratic State House Minority Leader Robert Reeves of Chatham County recently spoke to us about this on 97.9 The Hill. He said he thinks that's because North Carolinians are waking up to the serious issues that we're facing and the less than ideal ways in which today's elected officials are handling them. Here is what else Reeves had to say. 
there are lots of small items that have built up to build this uh, at a national level. McCarthy being deposed as speaker, I think that caught people's attention. You know, it, it went from, hey, you know, this is just a normal Washington dysfunction to, hey, this is serious. You know, you got two wars going on on two different fronts, and then all of a sudden uh, we're rudderless in Congress. I think that uh, at a state level, it has been very interesting how serious uh, the situation with the casino vote has gone. Another issue that's become huge has been affordable housing. And then, of course, there's the overarching concern about our democracy as a whole. I mean, I think people are really worried of the direction that we're heading when it comes down to that. So all those factors are going in to seeing more activity from people who have normally not been involved in politics. Once again, that is Robert Reeves, the State House Minority Leader and District 54 representative speaking there. He himself has also filed for re-election in the 2024 cycle. And as I said, we'll continue following who else locally tosses their name into the ring for those positions as the filing period runs through next Friday, uh, December 15th. We've got some business news to share in Chapel Hill. Congratulations to the restaurant Bombolo, as it was named the North Carolina Restaurant of the Year by Eater Carolina's Magazine on Wednesday. The business was just opened in February of this year, and it's co-owned by Garrett Fleming and Eleanor Lacey, located right off of Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. And Bombolo specializes in different angles and takes on Italian cuisine. So there's a lot of pasta dishes there, but a big variety of what you might find on the menu. Congratulations to them for that recognition. And some other good news in Chapel Hill. Another note here, Chapel Police last night sent out a missing person alert for 62-year-old Jennifer Parsons. We did receive an update from police in the late morning today saying Parsons was indeed safely located earlier on Thursday. And time now for our look at sports. We're in the middle of basketball season, and we do still have a football game to go, but we're actually not too far off from the Diamond Heels getting their season started. UNC Baseball released their schedule for the 2024 season this afternoon, and we know now their opening date. It's February 16th, as Carolina will start a three-game series against Wagner at Boschmer Stadium to get everything kicked off. A couple of other notable non-conference matchups. They'll have a three-game series with East Carolina. That starts on February 23rd. The first game in that one will be played in Chapel Hill, the other two on the road. UNC will also have a home series against Campbell again, and the Diamond Heels will once again play a neutral site game in Charlotte against South Carolina. Many of their other in-state rivals, though, they're going to have to face on the road. In conference play, Wake Forest, NC State, and Duke are all away series for the UNC baseball team. Plenty of exciting conference matchups to come at Boschmer Stadium, and season tickets are on sale now if you want to check out the Diamond Heels for every home game. Meanwhile, UNC women's basketball was in action last night, and they turned in a good performance on Wednesday to get back into the win column. The Tar Heels defeated UNC Greensboro 81-66. They are now 6-3 on the season, and they had six players reach double figures last night. That's something that's only happened five other times under Courtney Banghart, but the most recent time before this happened pretty recently. It was the season opener against Gardner-Webb. So good to see that from the Tar Heels. It was UNC graduate student Lexi Donarski leading the way, she scored the most points she has as a Tar Heel, finishing with 22 and hitting six of her eight three-pointer attempts. 
It's important that Carolina kind of got back to some scoring proficiency because they did not have an efficient game against number one South Carolina. That's not uh, too surprising and very forgivable since how the Gamecocks are really good. And that game was just a really grind defensive game anyway last week. But they also had some poor scoring performances in the Gulf Coast Showcase over Thanksgiving. And it's important that UNC shake this off and find their shooting rhythms again because they've got another big test ahead this weekend. They're traveling to face UConn in Connecticut on Sunday. That's a 5 p.m. tip-off, and we're going to have it right here on 97.9 The Hill with coverage beginning at 4.30. Meanwhile, the UNC men's basketball team has quite a break in action. They're not going to be playing again until next weekend as finals take place at UNC. But with that break, their schedule doesn't exactly get any easier afterward. Carolina's next game sees them take on number 16 Kentucky in Atlanta as part of the CBS Sports Classic. And it's a part of a challenging stretch that's featured four ranked opponents in five games, three of those ranked games coming on away or neutral site courts. Here's what UNC head coach Hubert Davis had to say earlier in the year when asked about this portion of UNC's difficult schedule. I can't remember a time where... There hasn't been challenges for the University of North Carolina men's basketball program. I, I just don't remember a time. I remember when I played here and we played everybody. As an assistant coach, we played everybody. And so this isn't uncharacteristic of what Carolina men's basketball does. And so it's great to have be able to play teams like Tennessee and Arkansas and Villanova and the only difference is is playing a conference opponent this early that's something that is just relatively new but in terms of playing a challenging schedule and playing against some of the better teams in the country to my knowledge that's what Carolina has done since I can remember Carolina being Carolina. Once again, that is UNC men's basketball coach Hubert Davis speaking there. Well, when the Tar Heels do take the court against Kentucky next weekend, we, of course, are going to have that broadcast here on your flagship station for Tar Heel Sports. Some Carolina soccer news or tangential. The UNC men's soccer team saw their season end in the NCAA quarterfinals last weekend, but now we're learning that their opponent might have used an ineligible player. Reports are that Oregon State had a conference call with the NCAA today about using Javier Armas, their defender, who got an eighth yellow card in a row the previous game, which should have disqualified him for the corner final. Instead, Armas played 90 minutes against the Tar Heels in Oregon State's 1-0 win. Unclear yet what's going to happen to the Beavers since they are now in the College Cup, the Final Four for college soccer, and UNC was sent home packing. Uh, Likely no change in status for the Tar Heels there, but a pretty bad beat. We'll see what happens to their opponent in that game and what happens with that uh, potentially disqualified and ineligible player. And in some more positive Carolina-related news, former basketball player Leah Church, who was on the UNC women's basketball team from 2017 to 2020, has written an autobiography about making it on scholarship to her dream school and playing for the Tar Heel program in the state where she grew up. Church posted about the book on social media, says its title is called Longshot and that it is out now. Congratulations to Leah for that project. 